Whew, all right. Wow. Thank you, worship team. Thank you so much. I got to be a part of the worship team, but I, yeah, I, yeah. And, uh, man, way to enter in, Hope. I do believe that God, his heart just fills up. I don't know why he enjoys it when we sing to him together, but he does. And, uh, yeah. Well, hey, uh, we're going to launch into the message here. So, Steve, if you want to hit the recording, off we go. We are about halfway through a series that we've been calling uh, Following Jesus Together, where we've been focused on, uh, pretty apparent in the title, Following Jesus, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We have actually focused in for the last uh, couple weeks on the word disciple, which is uh, what followers of Jesus were called in the scriptures. And we also know that God wired of the spiritual life and actually just life together um, that nobody can stand alone. And so we do everything we do together. That's the intent of following Jesus. It's not just a solo journey. We do it together. Now, last week, just a real quick catch up, we did talk about uh, rabbis and disciples, rabbis and disciples. Now, rabbis in that day were great respected teachers. They were very highly thought of in the Jewish culture. And everyone looked to them for different levels of instruction or information or training on the scriptures and how to live out the Jewish faith. Rabbis then had students, and eventually a student could get to the place where they might even be called a disciple uh, if they became the best of the best of the best. It was a very exclusive group. Um, we learned that children were educated in the Jewish system, and then as it went on, there was kind of these cuts off, cut off places where, where the just the best went on, and then after that, the best of the best went on, and after that, and so it was a very exclusive group. If you were actually called to be, named to be, allowed to be a rabbi's disciple. Now, here's the cool thing, is that Jesus was a rabbi, but unlike all the rabbis, the other rabbis of his day, uh, Jesus was the one that called and chose his disciples. Other Disciples or, or prospective disciples would go to a rabbi and apply and try to be good enough and, and prove themselves and be the best of the best. But Jesus, on the other hand, he went out and actually chose the rejects. He, he chose people who had been passed over by the other rabbis, the not good enoughs. And when he chose them... He called them, saying what every other rabbi would say when they finally decided a disciple was good enough. He used these words, follow me. Follow me. And friends, you and I, uh, if you wear the label or the, the name Christian, we too are followers of Jesus. That is what it means to be a Christian. Being a disciple is actually the word used far more often in the scriptures for people who follow Jesus than the word Christian. We are intended to be followers of Jesus. We are disciples. And as disciples, I think it's so important for us to remember that Jesus is our teacher. He is our rabbi. Now, back then, rabbis were the most brilliant of teachers. Um, they were very creative because uh, they would spend days upon days and hours upon hours teaching. And so they would be very interactive in how they did that. Uh, and so lots of rabbis would teach um, not just by lecturing all day long, but they would get really interactive. By the way, um, you know, we have an hour, 15 or 20 here, and so, you know, we've got their 30 to 40 minutes of teaching. Um, but can you imagine if we were together, like disciples and rabbis and groups, like they were back then, hours upon hours at a time, uh, and by golly, I'm sure um, 
you would not want to sit here and listen to me <laughs> for hours and hours and hours. It's just now the best learning environment anyway. And these rabbis knew um, that, that you needed to change it up. So like if we were together for hours and hours and hours, I would think a great thing to do would be field trips. Would we want to do that? Would that be, yeah? Field trips, right? We'd go on field trips. We'd need to break it up. Well, rabbis actually did field trips. They would take their students to different places, but they were strategic about where they took their students. They would take their disciples, their students, to a place to make a point um, and drive home the point of what they were trying to teach them. In fact, you were a follower of the rabbi, and you would follow so closely, we learned last week, that, that as you go through these dusty roads... Um, you were, you were supposed to follow your rabbi so closely that there was an actual blessing that was spoken over disciples, and that blessing was, may you, disciple, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Which sounds funny to us, but it is powerful. If you follow that closely, everywhere your rabbi goes, you would be covered, especially in those days, in the dust of that rabbi. So as these rabbis would, you know, they're pretty passionate, and they'd go down their dusty roads and be leading their disciples somewhere. For example, um, if they wanted to do an interactive field trip here, maybe the rabbi wanted to talk about Psalm 1. So maybe he would take the students, the disciples, uh, to a, a lake or a stream or a river, and he would find a huge tree. And by this beautiful, huge tree, maybe they would all sit down under the branches of the tree and, and maybe enjoy the fruit of the tree or whatever was there. And then the rabbi would expound on Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the way of the wicked, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Be that kind of a field trip to go buy a tree, and I think that would, at least for me, um, really drive the point home. Can you see how that might make a deeper impact than just reading the words or hearing a lecture? Anyone? Some of us? Yeah, okay. Well, today's passage from Scripture is found in Matthew 16. We're going to start in verse 13, and Jesus is going to take his disciples on a field trip. But before we go there, this idea of a field trip just got me thinking um, about being in a particular place... And it got me thinking about a time where, when I was in a particular place where a historical event had happened, it really um, stuck with me. So much so that being in that place really, it was three decades ago, is something that still was powerful for me. Back when I was in uh, college, I played in a band, and um, we went to do a tour in Europe for a summer back in 92. Um, I was in a Bible college, and we had met all these pastors and missionaries that were traveling through the Bible college, and they did a lot of ministry in Europe, and they were like, hey, you guys need to come and spend a summer over here serving. So here I am at age 22, leading a bunch of other college kids. I'm the one in the light-colored shirt. I know, that's 100 pounds ago. Um, I think that's our mascot. Yeah, I'm the light-colored shirt there. I had more hair, too. Um, all right, honey, please take that off the screen. Okay. Um, we did uh, a month in Romania, and, and um, Romania had been under communist rule since the end of World War II, and just a couple years before we came is when they overthrew their brutal dictator and they gained their freedom. Uh, and when that happened, communism fell and the doors to Christianity were open and people could come. And so lots of churches and missionaries were partnering up with churches that were, had been secret before, but were learning to like you know, operate in the open. But when we got there at first... Um, 
the church leaders weren't quite sure what to do with us, but the missionaries were like, no, 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 just, just, just try this. And quickly, um, the church figured out, wow, this is actually um, kind of a, could be a really cool thing for us to use to reach people. And so they got really brave and ambitious um, once they realized that Romanians loved at least the novelty of a, an American rock band. Um, they decided, hey, we're going to add a concert that's going to be outdoors, and we're going to do it in a place that's significant to this city in Bucharest. Now, for me, when we got there, it seemed like a really strange place for a concert. I love doing outdoor gigs, but we, you know, it was weird, though. It was like this big, huge concrete slab. Something obviously had been demolished there, and behind us was a concrete wall. And as we were there, we're looking across the street, and there's this high-rise that... that um, Romania's telecommunications ran out of. So there's our setting. I, I couldn't find a picture of this. But we're setting up our gear, wondering, this is an interesting place, but here we go. Um, the hosts, our hosts, began to tell us the story that this, where we were right here, was one of the places that just a couple years before, a battle had been fought. The battle that ended up overthrowing part of the battles that overthrew the, the brutal dictator. And then they pointed out to us the concrete wall right behind us where there were, it was peppered with bullet holes from that battle. Which was really sobering, you know, to suddenly go, whoa, okay, this was just recently a pretty big deal that people had been hurt. Some had lost lives. But our church hosts, they had enough kind of vision about this that they thought this was the perfect place to get the attention of their city. These, these people that had been oppressed for decades, and they saw this as a place that we could share the love of Jesus from a place that had been pretty painful in their recent history. And so we started playing music. And, um, you know, in countries where freedom is new... Um, I don't think about things like permits or permission, right? So um, it didn't take long before the police showed up and they wanted us to stop. So we stopped and they had to explain, and they were very polite, that the telecommunications, a little high rise across, like Romania's telecommunications had shut down because all the workers had opened up their windows and they were like leaning out just watching the music. Um, so could we, you know, maybe come back after hours or something? Uh, and then actually some of the head police officers showed up and said, no, 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 let them play, but, you know, just do a few more songs because we really got to, you know, get them back to work over there. Um, uh, it, was, it was actually pretty fun. They, they had formerly been secret police. They wanted us to go out to dinner with them th that night, which was interesting, and, but we did. Um, uh, but, but the point is, this historical place suddenly um, helped me understand more deeply uh, the, the how... Uh, crucial and important being in a place is to a people who have just gone through something so difficult, so traumatic. And now, instead of just knowing the history of the overthrow of this brutal, ruthless dictator, now I had this visual impact that stuck with me because as I was playing drums, I could look right behind me at this wall with bullet holes that were only a couple years old. But because of the newfound freedom that was won because of this place, um, we were able to do what we were doing in that very moment, help a local church point people to Jesus. Um, and so it was powerful me, for me to be in a place that was more real and will stick with me because I was in that place. So with that, back to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is going to a place and, and it's a specific place. The rabbi is about to take the boys, his disciples, on a field trip. 
And the place that Jesus is going to teach them this lesson is crucial. In fact, we, we find that the verses before this, they were actually somewhere else. So to get to where they were here, they would have had to go 25 miles in, you know, from the place they were to this place before Jesus taught them what he was about to teach them. And so Jesus decided, okay, it's time. We're going to teach this important object lesson. So if Jesus did what most rabbis would do in his teaching method, he probably doesn't tell them where they're going or why they're going. He just says, follow me, and off they go, 25 miles of dust. And can you imagine the disciples just asking questions like, wonder where we're going? And the closer they get, um, because of where they were going, I'll tell you in a minute, they started to go, no, 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 there's no way he's taking us there. Not that place. So Matthew 16, verse 13 says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, a lot of times we just read past these locations, but this is so important to know. Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? This is a, a title Jesus used uh, to describe himself. Uh, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Verse 15, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And we'll stop right there for today. Now, just back up here. Jesus, again, 25-mile dusty hike. They end up in Caesarea Philippi, and that place is an important detail. Now, here's some artist renderings of, of what it would have looked like back then. Um, this is the, the town that would have grown up back in that day. And, and I want you to notice uh, this area. It says the Grotto of Pan and the rock that's back there and the rock that that whole back section is built on. We're going to get a close-up of that in just a little bit. But just notice that. Um, but, so hang on to that important fact. But, but when Jesus takes these good Jewish boys <laughs> to um, this place, uh, for any devout Jew, just the name of this city would cause the hair on the back of their necks to stand up uh, for a few reasons. And the first one um, is in the name. Anybody can see why this name might be offensive or irritating to Caesar, right? So an oppressive Roman occupier, this town near their place is named after him. Now, there was a temple built uh, for the worship of Caesar. They actually worshiped the Caesar here. And here, listen to this declaration. Here is how the Caesar worship went. They declared that Caesar is the divine son of God who has come with a gospel of good news, with a message of peace and prosperity for the whole world. Does that sound familiar, anyone? Yeah, that's familiar, isn't it? Yeah. In fact... We'll get into this another time, but when, when Peter and Paul and the disciples would say this same thing about Jesus, it was a subversive way of saying, remember, Caesar's gone. Jesus is Lord. <laughs> but back to the thing, uh, this city was Caesar worship was one of the things they did, and that's built on the rock back there. That's all rock, all that worship area. Well, there's more to it as well, because the second reason this was a like nerve-wracking place was before it was Caesarea Philippi, it was called 
Peneus, and it had been the religious center of worship for the Greek god named Pan. Now, in the cliff that stood above the city, there were these temples that were uh, devoted to the Greek god Pan. Um, and this guy, I mean, there were local shrines, there were all kinds of things built to him, and this, this, this god was half man and half goat. Um, he was nuts. I mean, uh, he was the god of fright, and by the way, I searched long and hard to find an appropriate representation. It is a, woo, it is, yeah. Um, he was the god of fright. In fact, we get the word pan, panic, panic, from the god Pan. And the worship of Pan involves stuff that I can't even try to delicately describe here. It was depraved, it was demeaning, um, it was not good. So coming to this city where that was going on, not something they were excited about. Um, And in fact, it wasn't just with the Greek god Pan. Historically, before that was introduced, uh, when Israel, the Israelites, had fallen into sin, wandered from God, they would do Baal worship in this same place. And Baal worship was this entire area of that rock. See all that rock down there? This entire rock area was devoted to Baal worship out in the open. Involved things like child sacrifice, fertility cults, temple prostitution. It was very demeaning, very dehumanizing. It was terrifying stuff. That's the second reason that, where did you take us, Jesus? And the third reason that this place was real scary is is that these Jewish disciples, these good Jewish fellas, um, knew that everyone actually believed that there was a supernatural evil strong there, and it was past and present, because on the rock formation, um, there was called a, a gate. See that hole there? They referred to that hole, at that cave area, as a gate. And right in this area down there, and this is a modern day, there's people touring out there, So, but right here is where people... Um, worshipped demons. They worshipped demons right there. They believed that their city, right here, Caesarea Philippi and Peneus, before that, this city was literally the connection point to the gates of the underworld, and um, they actually called it the gates of Hades. That was what it was known as, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell is our translate. They believed this was the very location of the gates of Hades, the gates of hell. Now, the people believed that their gods traveled to and from the world through these caves, and so the cave here created a, 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 a gate to the underworld where these fertility gods lived during the winter, and then they would come back out um, in the spring. And so the worshipers believed that in order for the gods or goddesses to travel to and from the underworld, from Hades, they had to use this very portal to get there and to get back. So in order to, you know, entice the return of their god Pan, each spring, the people of Caesarea Philippi engaged in rituals, including sacrifices, prostitution, dehumanizing sexual acts, to engage in worship to these false gods. So this place had been, this this was the very location, right? They named this spot as the very location of the gates of Hades, what we often translate as the gates of hell. So now... Does that help explain why it's so important to notice that this is where Jesus says what he's about to say? Uh, This is the place right here. When Jesus brought his disciples to this area, they were shocked. They had to be shocked. This was like the the red light district in their world, and, and any devout Jew would have avoided any contact with any kinds of the activities that happened there. 
See, this was a city, an entire city of people who were eagerly and willingly knocking on the gates, the doors of hell. But I find it so fascinating that, that, that Jesus chose this place, Caesarea Philippi, to deliver what is kind of a graduation speech in some ways to his disciples. See, in this pagan setting, he encouraged his disciples to build a church that would overcome the worst kinds of darknesses. See, I just think it's fascinating to me. Right? Like, Jesus, why a field trip here? You see, Jesus was choosing a particular place on purpose for this next important teaching that he was going to impart to them. Remember, he's a rabbi, he wants the message to stick, and so that location is important. So now let's just fly back through the text we looked at. What's the message Jesus was going after? Verse 13 again, Jesus came to the reason of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, and Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Now, just picture and imagine Jesus overlooking this place of evil as he probes deeper. Okay, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And this next verse here, just summing it up here, essentially Jesus says, boom, you got it right, Peter. You got an A. You got an A. Nice job. Well done. Right? By the way, uh, there's a scene that comes a few verses later, whole different place, many miles away. Uh, just, you know, Peter goes from being the A-plus student. Um, um, anybody know what he does in the next scene? Yeah, he rebukes Jesus. <laughs> Jesus says, hey, I'm going to die. I'm, I'm going to die. I'm about to go. And Peter says, Jesus, no, you can't say that. Right? You can't do that. And, and uh, Jesus says to Peter, the A-plus student just moments before, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> Whoa, okay. So there you go. Peter went from being like the A to a complete fail that fast. So, but, all right, sorry. Back to verse 18. He says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the word church translates community, the people of God, community. And Jesus says, the gates of Hades, again, remember he's looking at this place, the gates of Hades, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, real quick, um, this can be interesting because um, the, the name Peter and the word rock are interchangeable in the Greek. It's the same, it's the same thing. And so Catholic tradition interprets this moment as one way about how the church functions as related to Peter and passing down you know, um, apostolic authority and ordination and all that stuff. And that's fine, but Protestants see it a whole other way. And, and both have actually reasonable points. And I don't want to get sidetracked um, because I want to look past that question and I want to imagine us stepping back into this place where the statement's being made. Not worried about what this means about Peter, right? Jesus says, on this rock. And where are they standing? What rock? Caesarea, Philippi, which is founded on a what? On a rock. It's founded on a rock, I mean, I mean, back then, the Gospel of Matthew is written to a Jewish audience, and everyone knows this area and knows that it's a scary place, and they know exactly what he's saying as he says, on this rock. Because what's happening on this rock? See, on this rock, people are worshiping 
Caesar, people are worshiping demons. People are trying to find all sorts of desperate ways to connect to the supernatural and get favor with these inferior gods and it is bankrupting them. It is destroying them. See, this rock on this rock, this rock is a place of pain, of brokenness, of chaos. And so when Jesus says, (laughs) when Peter says to Jesus, Uh, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. I I can imagine Jesus' reply being, you got it, Peter. You're right. You've named my identity. I I am the Messiah. I am God's Son. And let's not forget my mission. Because Peter and the rest of us, listen, this is what my mission is all about. I have come to go after the pain and the brokenness and the chaos of this world like we see demonstrated right here in this place on this rock. That's exactly what I'm about and that's exactly what I'm going to do, which is why Jesus delivered this message at the gates of hell. It was a field trip to a real place. The gates of Hades. I mean, think about even gates for a moment. You know, gates are designed oftentimes to keep people inside, like these gates were, to keep people imprisoned, spiritual bondage, people in pain, people to keep people living in hell. And in that culture, <laughs> gates were also used as a part of a city's defense system. So I think that the gates of Hades are built by the enemy strategically for a reason. Um, He wants to keep people in, but he wants to keep us out. (laughs) See, Satan would love to keep us, the followers of Jesus, he'd love to keep us from crashing the gates and rescuing the people who are lost, broken, hurting, confused, addicted, depressed, filled with fear, filled with hatred. That's what the gates are there for, to keep us out. See, because we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus, and he is all about bringing freedom and restoration. Remember how he announced his mission um, at the start of his ministry, before he even began to call disciples, back in Luke 4. Why has Jesus come? Luke 4, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord, here's why I'm here, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the the year of the Lord's favor. And then he calls disciples and they follow him. They get the dust of their rabbi all over them, learning more and more about following Jesus. Three years later, here's their graduation speech, standing near the gates of Hades where Jesus is declaring to them and to all of us, don't ever mistake my mission for a moment because my mission is going to storm the gates of hell and the gates of hell will not prevail. See, this is a massive moment of of hope, actually, and clarity. See, right here, Right here, Jesus presented a clear challenge with his words at Caesarea Philippi. He didn't want his people hiding from evil. He wanted them to storm the gates of hell. And church, we are not called to hide, to live in fear of our dark and broken world. We are called as followers of Jesus to join his invitation in being the church, setting up camp right by the gates of hell, 
and invading with the love and the kingdom of God, bringing freedom, hope, recovery, helping blind eyes see that no one needs to live in darkness. That is the hope that Jesus gives to the church to be the hope of the world. See, Jesus says he's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail, which means that our problem is hell. It's dealing with hell and hell is at work wherever evil is winning. See, every time a little child is left unloved, unwanted, uneducated, or unnoticed, every time a marriage ends, every time racial differences divide a city or a street or a church, hell makes its mark. Every time money gets worshipped or hoarded, every time a lie gets told, every time generations get separated, divided, suspicious, and standoffish, every time a workplace becomes dehumanizing or fear-based, every time a family gets broken down, or when truth gets undermined by conspiracies or gossip, when sinful habits create a life of shame, when addictions are hidden, with, when, when faith gets undermined, when hope gets lost, when people get slandered, Hell is prevailing. And church, it is not acceptable to Jesus that hell prevails. It's not okay. And so the greatest rabbi who ever lived, the Messiah, the son of God, took his followers, his disciples on a field trip. And he did this to drive home the point of his mission in the world His mission is good news to the poor. It's freedom for the captives. And that mission to storm the gates of hell and free the captives, friends, it is still unfolding. Still unfolding. And it makes me wonder, where would Jesus take us? Where would he take us on a field trip to reveal the gates of hell that he's inviting us to invade? What would your field trip look like? And what would our field trip, because the church is the people of God together, so what would our field trip as a church family together look like? Heidi and I are in one of the small groups in the past couple weeks. We've been going deeper in these discussions where this quote just keeps coming back to me from a couple weeks ago from one of the messages. It was, here's the quote, following Jesus can put us in uncomfortable situations situations that we are not used to, situations that cause us discomfort. Jesus was often posing uncomfortable questions and telling parables so his listener could face their own prejudices, be it against the Gentiles, the Samaritans, people with leprosy, people who were outcasts of society. You see who that quote's by, by the way? Oh, it's not up there. I didn't get that on the slide. That was our own brilliant uh, Heidi Glenn right there who spoke that. Powerful, powerful. Apparently not powerful enough for me to remember to put it on a slide, but close enough, yeah. But following Jesus, friends, can put us in uncomfortable situations, settings that we're not used to, places that cause us some apprehension. Maybe your field trip involves beginning to pray and just wonder what it would mean to follow Jesus into this invitation of crashing the gates of hell as his partners, bringing, bringing goodness and grace to our families, to our workplaces, to our neighborhoods, to our city, to our nation, to our world. Makes me think of how we crash the gates here at Hope in how we do outreach. 
Uh, some, some of the things that we do together even locally, like the San Marcos Elementary School where, where we as a church want to go deeper and are praying for ways to go deeper in building that relationship so we can crash down the gates of hell and bring hope to impoverished families and help kids learn to read, help to encourage the teachers that are working in such a difficult environment that probably sometimes does feel pretty close to hell. We can crash the gates by going to places like the Reminisce Care Ministry where Pastor Jim leads a team to do worship services on a regular basis for folks that don't get a lot of visitors and don't get a lot of anything. We can crash the gates by joining with Brandon Hodge, our InterVarsity campus minister who works with the Maricopa Community Colleges. Talk about a prime opportunity to partner with Jesus in coming against the gates of hell and, and against the places of pain and confusion and despair and uncertainty. What's that look like in that mission field? Or how about our Naomi house on the... Navajo Res, where, where we've been able to continue doing projects or our one mission um, trips where we build houses for people in Mexico. Or how about partnering with World Vision and sponsoring a kid in the Congo? We've got missionaries in Ecuador and Colombia, the Delps and the Asazas. How can we, together with them, we as the church, storm the gates of hell, bringing life and hope of Jesus to a very impoverished, dark place? And that's just some of what we do. We do even more than that. And it's a lot. And it can be very overwhelming to try to figure out where to put our energies in crashing the gates of hell. So that's okay. Just pick one. Maybe two. Just pick one or two. Just pick a spot. <laughs> pick one or two. Is there something in your neighborhood, at your school, at your workplace? Maybe, maybe one of the projects that we are doing here at Hope. Just pick maybe one or two to start. That's just a great way as a disciple of Jesus, as people who are covered in the dust of our rabbi because we follow him so closely, it's a great way for us to trust his invitation and crash the gates of hell, bringing good news to the poor, sight to the blind, freedom to captives. Jim and Christy, will you guys come? that broke, broken family relationships feel like hell, don't they? Feels like the gates of hell are winning, don't they? Broken neighborhoods, broken cities, that is hell. The evil that is overrunning many nations and people are fleeing their homes, that is, is hell. These are daunting things in front of us. But I want you to hear me think about this. Our rabbi, Jesus, actually believes that you and I, as his disciples, can partner with him in breaking down those gates of hell. Again, Jesus said, on this rock, the places of pain, confusion that look hopeless, on that rock... I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Friends, this is our invitation, our kingdom purpose to partner with God in bringing freedom to places that are bound by evil and darkness. And I think that we who are disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, I just think we want to ask ourselves this, this important question today. How will we follow Jesus 
to the gates of hell and bring light into dark places and bring hope to hopeless places in tearing down fear with the power of God's love. As we sing as Christy and Jim sing this song, just, just sit in this and wonder if this is an invitation for you to notice in the circles of your own life where there is some kind of pain, there's some kind of brokenness, where it seems like hell is winning. And then wonder, what does it look like to follow Jesus into that place of pain or brokenness that's on your radar and begin shining the light of Jesus' love and truth? Say 